Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. Boy, what a pleasure it was to chat with uh, Dr. Vicki Van Hurley. I uh, got to learn all about her journey, uh, including you know stints in Southern Illinois and Flint, Michigan, and Michigan State, now uh, down in Tampa, Florida, and some of the incredible work that she is doing. She is the design doctor. Uh, she's got a cool uh, story about how she got her PhD and how that interweaves into packaging and just an understanding of how somebody who grew up as this, as this creative person was enabled to uh, harness it a little bit and turn it into this, these outputs, which are, um, you know, very, uh, very practical when it comes to packaging and then also uh, a lot of her expressions through her own artwork. So she's an author. Uh, I will uh, put a link to her book on Amazon. Um, she's a professor and she was an incredible interview. So here's my interview with Dr. Vicki Van Hurley. Uh, I am so excited just even based off of our conversation that we had prior to recording to sit down here virtually as everybody is doing with Dr. Vicki Van Hurley. Um, and I am, you're going to do such a better job than me of introducing yourself. Um, but I, I love that you, you're, you're the design doc. Um, I love being the, um, the dumbest person on the call. You're a doctor, you have a PhD, which is amazing. Um, and I believe you're in Florida. Is that correct? Correct. Awesome. So why don't you, um, just take a moment and introduce yourself. I like to frame it. We're at, uh, you know, call it whatever ABC packaging event or printing United and we meet and somebody says, Oh, you got to meet, you got to meet Dr. Van Hurley. And then, uh, we meet and you say, Oh, this is kind of, this is a little bit about me. So, uh, tell us about yourself and introduce yourself. All right. Thank you so much, Adam. Like I said, it's a really, it's a great pleasure and honor to meet with you and to be able to just uh, share yeah. a little bit about myself and about my love for packaging and, and really my journey. Cool. Um, so like, like you did say, yes, correct. I do have a PhD um, and it is from Michigan State University. Okay. And my background, it, it has been a, a journey. Um, I'm an artist. I've always been a creative person all my life. And um, I was went to design school, then transferred and kind of went to a traditional university, finished the degree, finished the bachelor in art, minor in communication. And I said, okay, what do you do? You go get a job. Right. Well, it was a little difficult. Getting into the graphic design arena at that time, several years ago, um, wasn't as easy as, as I thought. So like many graduates, they returned home, degree in hand, and what am I gonna do? Well, okay. Went home, went to my parents' home, and they let me have a little bit of a vacation. And then they said, you know what? Everybody that is grown in this household has a job. Right. What do you plan to do? And where was this, by the way? Where'd you grow uh, Flint, up? Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan, all right. Yes. And so I said, okay, great. So I, I got a couple of retail jobs. Long story short, three part-time jobs. Mm. One was, teach. actually two. Two were teaching, but I was teaching art classes. Um, the Flint Institute of Arts has a, well, they did. I think it's still holding on. Um, had a phenomenal cultural center for the, for the size of, of the town. And so mm. the Flint Institute of Arts it is a museum, but they also have a museum school. And so I was encouraged by some friends, hey, you ought to go teach there. And I'm like, I don't have a teaching degree. I, my degree is not in education. What are you talking about? Right. I want to do that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, with my parents in my ear, I said, you know what? You need to go take advantage of this because there was someone um, that I knew. She attended my church. She was the new education coordinator. And she was looking for teachers. Mm. So in other words, I needed a job. They had a job. Yeah. So I went down and interviewed. Okay. So I started teaching art or drawing to students who were the ages between ages eight and 11. Okay. 
All right. So I hey, I have I have five kids that are ages 13, 11, 8, 6, and 4. So God bless you. Thank you. Every day. Every day I feel blessed. But yeah, I get um, it. I get it. Teaching art would be, that would be a challenge. Oh my gosh. So I did that. Then also um, there, I got hooked up through someone else. There was a group of students that lived in a, a suburb of Flint, Grand Blank. Okay. And their school, they were attending a private school and they did not have art. So some parents got together and thought, you know what? It would be great if you could teach our kids art. So I was working at the Flint Institute of Arts. I was teaching my private lessons and I was working at a framing store in Flint called Deck the Walls. So that okay. was my, my thing. So I clever, three clever name, jobs. by the way, Deck the Walls. Well done. I like the name of the, of the store, <laughs> Deck the Walls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. But like I said, everything was relatively strategic Okay. because I said, you know, I'm not a teacher. That's not what I want, but everything was artistic. It was creative in some form. That was one thing that I knew I did not want to do was take a job or even start down a career path that had nothing to do with my, my degrees, which were closely associated with my passions. So I took those things. Then um, lo and behold, a friend of mine who um, he was um, in medical school at the time and he was starting, I think his residency. Okay. And there is a, um, and the hospital still there, currently medical center. No, no, no relation. Huh? Um, and so I didn't know this until I was informed that they had their own full service advertising PR firm right in that hospital. So huh. I applied, I applied for a job and um, they didn't have anything open, but 11 months later, they called and they said, hey, we have a position for you. It's full time, but it's temporary. I went hmm. three part time jobs and one full time job. That's temporary, but we don't know when it's going to end. Yeah, goodbye, everybody. So I, yeah. I took the full time job All right. as a graphic designer and illustrator at Holy Medical Center. And it was it was great. But one of the things I realized was it was an entry-level position, which, okay, we all have to start somewhere. I get yeah, sure. But the entry-level, I hit that ceiling about three years in. Okay. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? So in the meantime, um, I'm like, well, I'm going to start. I, I thought I wanted to move off to California, maybe become an illustrator for Warner Brothers or something. And then I started researching. I'm like, California has a lot of financial issues as a state. I don't think I, I want that. Hmm. So I'm still looking, not quite sure what I, where I want to go next. So I'm like, well, you got a job. Let's keep looking. Let's just keep showing up in the meantime. Yeah. So one, one of the opportunities that did pop up while I was at Hurley was there was a, um, a school that was near the medical center that didn't have any kind of enrichment classes. And so, okay, I'll go ahead. You can do the math, whatever. This was like in the mid nineties. Okay. And so what happened in this hospital is in the inner city. It's, it's a big, big hospital, big campus. It's much larger now than when I was there. Okay. And so this was in the mid nineties. And so what it was, um, someone had gotten the great idea that what we can do, because there's a lot of people, as you very well know, who they have a career, a full-time job, and kind of like yourself, they have passions for other things. And yeah. they do, and they're qualified mm -hmm. to do other things. So what ended up happening was this one school, we kind of picked it, or was picked, chosen for us, that we would go spend one day, a complete day, uh, every month, bringing art, mm. music, um, I think there might have been some theater to these students that didn't have any of those classes. And so they were called Hurley Days. Okay. And so this was kind of my second exposure to um, elementary age children. <laughs> right. And it, well, like I said, I didn't have a teaching degree, but I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. So I went there, the students loved it. I'm like, hey, so after we did it for probably maybe three months or so, I had a couple of the teachers pull me aside and say, hey, have you ever thought about 
getting certified to be a teacher. And I'm yeah. like, oh, are you kidding me? Right, right. I'm like, well, why? And they said that the students, they were able to kind of use me as a reward system to encourage the students to do hmm. what they're supposed to do. So it was okay. If you don't do this, you don't know what you're supposed to, then you're not going to be able to uh, go to Miss Vicky's art class. Yeah. And so that, that changed. And I went, wow, I never thought about that. So <laughs> I did, um, while I still was at the medical center, I did return back to teaching at the Flint Institute of Arts part-time because okay. I did miss it. It was, it was something that I didn't know was within me. You know, you got the, you know, when you have all that 20 something, early 20 something wisdom, yeah. you think you have all the answers. You know, well, you think. You don't that, think, you know, you know, yeah, you have you all the answers. Yeah. Yes, I, I got this. As we say, I got this. I got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't have it. No. So, but anyway, so um, in that process, I returned back. I said, okay, hey, they had a new education coordinator. Uh, the person that hired me that I knew had moved on. But, um, like I said, my reputation preceded me and yeah. I was very pleased about that. They welcomed me back. I said, Hey, 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 I'm still full time. I just want one class in the evening. Can we do that? Yeah. They said, sure. So they had given me, um, a class cause my, my darlings ages eight to 11 were, were taken. So I said, okay, great. So they gave me another class and it was, um, I believe they were teenagers, kind of like middle school, early high school. I went, okay, okay so we'll, we'll make it work. So anyway, I had this student and I recall, I'm like, why do I have, this kid's name is familiar. Hmm. And he was a student, I had him in my first class and he was a very talented young man, but his personality needed some work. Okay. So, you know, I had one, we kind of had one clash and I squashed it and we were, we were, we were good for the rest of the, of the class. So I remember that. And I'm like, I wonder if this is the same student. So I waited, you know, we had the first class. I was not confronted by that same kind of attitude. And of course the young man was older because it had been a few years since I had him in class. So about the third week, I went down and I talked to the education coordinator. I said, Hey, let me ask you a question. I said, did I have this student before? Yeah. And she said, yes. And I went, I don't recall asking for a favor. So why, why do I have him again? <laughs> and she said, because you, you were able to handle him the first time. And I repeated myself. I said, yes. I don't recall asking for a favor. <laughs> Let me do something. Right. I'm asking for a So anyway, um, we had a break because it was a longer class. It was older students. And so yeah. um, we kind of worked for half the class, gave them like a 20 minute break. And then we kind of wrapped up for the rest of the class. So we had a break and I asked the young man, I said, may I speak to you privately for a minute? And he said, sure. So I spoke with him. I said, did I have you before? He said, yes, ma'am. I was like, yes, ma'am. So I said, well, okay, I'm just going to be blunt because I am. I said, now I recall who you were at that point. I recall the little clash we had. Mm -hmm. I said, so what happened? I said, I don't see this young man. I said, so what, what changed? So at that time, he was um, being heavily recruited by a gang. Mm -hmm. He was kind of, it was a lot of turmoil in his life. He was very confused. And that's when, like I said, I encountered him. And so he said, well, I said, well, I'm glad to see you. It looks like things have definitely changed in your life. And he said, yes. And I said, well, may I ask you what helped you with your change? He said, being in my art class hmm. gave him something to live for. Mm. And I'm like, wow. before I burst into tears, I was like, okay, boy, go. <laughs> that's awesome. It, and it was kind of a light bulb for me. Yeah. It was like, you know what? If what I do can help somebody, then maybe that's what I need to do. So it yep. was kind of ironic that I had that experience. And I still tell that story. Obviously, I just told it because it was very yeah. impactful. Right. 
And so when the teachers at the elementary school said, you know what, you, you really need to do this. I said, okay, great. So I had looked at um, Michigan State University. They had a program where you could take classes on a Saturday because I'm mm. working full time. I'm not right. going to quit to go back to school and get, I'm like, I already have a degree. I got to, I have an associate's from a design school. I have a bachelor's. I'm like, what are we doing here? So I sent off for the information and I waited, waited, waited. Matter of fact, I'm still waiting. So what I did, I kind of took matters into my own hands where um, I had got, like I said, being an artist, there's several magazines that of course, I'm not sure if it's still being published now. Anyway, they had um, an uh, issue that listed a lot of design schools, um, colleges, universities across the country. And so I went, you know what, I'm going to do this. So I just kind of randomly, literally, I kid you not, I looked at the list they had and I just took a pen and went, okay, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. And I applied to several. Hmm. And it might've been maybe, it may have taken maybe three to four months, perhaps. And I had received a call. Matter of fact, I went on, I was on vacation and when I returned, I had on my answering machine. Yeah, answering machine. I remember. Um, I remember answering machine. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I had on um, a, a, a message. By the way, do you remember? Um, do you remember sitting around waiting? Like I don't know who this is, and then they start. They would start leaving the message, and then you pick up the phone. That was how you'd screen calls. Do you remember doing that before caller absolutely. ID? Absolutely. I just sit around by the answering machine, just like, who's calling? I don't know who this is. And then they start, hey, Adam, this is so-and-so. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm screening my calls. Absolutely. All I the time. That. Oh, yeah. Heck anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, but anyway, it was um, Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. Oh, the Salukis. Yes, sir. So. How do I know called, that? They were like, we have a, we have a position and um, we think you would um, be, be great. We, mm-hmm. we just would like you to apply for it. And I just went, okay. So I had applied, got the interview. And I'm just like, did I send to these people? Where in the heck is Carbondale? Yeah. So. I had, I had an experience. The only reason I know about the Southern Illinois Salukis is my, when I went to Colorado State, um, I was a part of their basketball program my senior year. And I looked at the schedule and I was, uh, I, like, I would run practice teams. I was at every practice. I never played on the team, but, um, and I was like, Southern Illinois Salukis. And I'm like, what is a Saluki? And I just remember look if some kind of dog or something. I don't remember, yes. but um, I, that's the only reason I would ever know about that university. I've never been there. I've never been to Carbondale, but uh, that's very random. So anyway, that's- sorry. No, that's, that's phenomenal. Cause that was my same thing too. I'm like, where in the world are they? Cause you know, yeah. I had family, I still have family in Chicago, but I'm, that's all I knew. I'm like, what the world is. So I get down there. It's this little hick town. It, it's a college town. Yeah. Roads dead end into cornfields. <laughs> I'm just like, well, I'm from Flint. I'm like, what the, but I tell you though, I got down there and it was, it just felt so comforting, mm. like it was home. It was the most fun interview I ever had okay. in my life. They offered me the position. Needless to say, I took it, and that kind of launched the uh, my official career as as an educator. The rest is history, as they might say. The rest is history. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So. Uh, Okay, so this is this is cool. So you you've fallen in love with art, obviously. Um, you're in your and teaching because you've seen. I, I had a similar aha moment with packaging, and and I think we'll kind of collide the worlds here. But for me, um, you know, packaging was a job, and uh, and I actually just uh, I just got to interview, and his his episode will come out um, uh, probably about a week before this one releases. Um, and he's the, he's the president of the world packaging organization, um, named, uh, Pierre, um, Penair. 
think Pinair, that's how you say his last name. He's from South Africa and he lives in Australia now. And I heard him talk and he gave a talk about packaging and how packaging um, and proper food packaging can uh, reduce poverty and eliminate global starvation. And that was my moment. That was my like, I needed a purpose bigger than just, well, here's your box and here's your label and here's this. And when that connected, that I could be part of an industry that is changing the world. So I got to tell him that on an interview, uh, which was which was super exciting. So that that's cool that you also had. I think it's it's important for us to have these moments where you had this with uh, with this young gentleman. I was going to ask if it was Mateen Cleves, because uh, <laughs> no. I don't I don't know anybody from Flint other than the Flintstones from the uh, <laughs> from the Michigan State basketball team. But Charlie Bell and uh, Mateen Cleves. I don't remember who the other one was. Anyway, um, I don't. It's so funny that you say that because um, Carbondale, I taught at the University of Kentucky, and then I went back to pursue my PhD at Michigan State. Okay. And so my niece at the time, she was, she was a youngin', she was little at the time. And so she was so excited. She loved MSU's basketball team, which had the Flintstones on yeah. it. And so I remember... Um, I got there because my sister was also had been living in Lansing. My sister attended Michigan State University undergrad and I was okay. there often. And so she never, she never returned to, to Flint. So uh, very familiar with, with the area and of course with, with the school. Yeah. So I get there and I was over at their house one day. And so she's like, Auntie Vicky, do you go to school? Do you have classes with any of the basketball team guys? <laughs> and my sister piped in and she says, no, no, Auntie Vicky goes to school on the grown-up side of campus. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that so, is so good. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, so you get your, um, so you have your PhD, which is, which is awesome. And what, what, uh, cause it, it has a packaging and you went to Michigan state, which obviously is this, is this really important, big packaging program. So what, what made you connect into the packaging industry from the design industry? Was that like, I'll talk to some people and there's like, it was an accident. I didn't know it. Uh, but then I got into it and I just fell in love. You know, I've heard people say like, once you get ink in your veins, you just can never leave it, it, when you get into like printing and packaging. Um, so how did that, how did you decide to pursue a doctorate uh, level education with an emphasis on, you know, this part of your creative expression in the packaging world? Ah, that's a great question. Um, and I, I forgot to bring it and show it, but I have had this love affair with packaging since I was a little bitty girl. As a matter of fact, I said, I meant to get it, but I got distracted. But Barnum Animal Crackers. Yeah. Came in a little box. With the little. And it had the white string. Yeah. There you go. So after I ate the cookies out of it, I kept the box. And the box would be my purse. Mm -hmm. And so it was something about that box I have, um, it, it was red. Red's one of my favorite. It is the most favorite color. I have other colors I wear a lot, but red is my yeah. favorite color. So it had the red on it and it had this little string and I like the, the illustration. So it was something that I really liked having around. So it was my little purse. So I'd carry this thing around. So I've always loved packaging. Mm -hmm. Really didn't put it together. But as, as I started to grow as a designer and also as I started to teach or like I, like I, I like to say, I like to coach, guide others to become designers, meaning my yeah. students. Yeah. I became more aware that design is not just aesthetics. It's really, it fits up under that big umbrella of visual communication. Mm, right. So part of my, because my thing, once again, I, I don't do things ordinarily. And it's not that I set out to do that. You know, there's people I know that they just, they just want to be different just because. Mm -hmm. That's never been me. I, I just do things or have desire for things and don't realize they're different until I'm on that journey. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I thought, I said, you know what? Well, what, what, can, I, what can I study? What, what can I do? I really want this degree. And I knew it I wanted it to be in calm because that's, that's kind of where I live. I'm a visual communicator. So it doesn't yeah. matter if you're designing a logo, corporate identity, a magazine, a newsletter. 
heck now a website or packaging. It's all visual communication. So my desire was, um, we need to know if what we're designing is that effective. Is it giving the message that we want? Is it really helping the consumers? And so that's also where this branding thing yeah. opened up for me as well. Yeah, you're an so, author. Um, I, saw, I saw your book. Yes. Um, I'm going to order it. It's going to come. It's going to come to me and I'm going to have it oh. off the Amazons. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I kind of put it together. And one of the great things I think that made it made a kind of our, a good fit for me was the program at Michigan State. It was in, uh, of course, um, communication. Yep. But they, they renamed it. But I'm trying to think of what it was. Um, it was mass media. But they, they've given it another name. I remember okay. when that big hoopla was happening when they're going to rename the degree. But what it did, it allowed you to, it, it, it was very cool being in that program because there were so many people from different kind of backgrounds. So what this mass media PhD program allowed you to do was kind of pick your own focus, almost build your own kind of research area within the parameters of, oh, cool. of mass media. So you had, we had people from journalism. We had people from advertising. We have people from, um, from speech. Mm -hmm. And so there was another one that I'm missing, but it, it was four. And um, so I thought, well, okay, this is what I want to say. We all had um, a common core that we had to take for the first academic year. Right. Then after that, you were kind of released or allowed to start to build. Where do you want to go with this? And so I had some struggles mm -hmm. uh, along the way with the journey. And when I said, you know what, I'm doing this packaging thing. Yeah. It was, it was incredible because I, I was forging upon uncharted territory. I had no idea. Yeah. And even though ironically, MSU does have, uh, still, I think it's still ranked, even though it's getting a little competition from places like Virginia Tech, mm -hmm. I believe it's still ranked as like the number one um, undergraduate packaging program if you, ask, if you in, ask anybody for if you have anybody from Michigan State, it's the number one packaging degree in the academy. exactly. So yeah. If you ask anyone <laughs> from Clemson or RIT or Virginia Tech or UW Stout or the University of Florida, they all have the number one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, hey, I, I can go back to that and I can debate and I can say MSU was first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I, they I think they I work. think it's true, but we, we have people listen to us from, from all of the, I had uh, actually Dr. Hurley. So you are the, I think you're the third doctor, probably the third PhD we've been able to have. And, and both of you have the name Hurley. So Dr. Hurley from Clemson uh, was on, on our first season. And then um, Dr. Uh, Chris Davidson has his PhD in forestry, sustainable forestry, fascinating yeah. conversation. So anyway, um, that's, that's, that's amazing. But, um, yeah, so yeah. So I, I had to craft my committee, um, in a way that was, it, it did include obviously someone from packaging. And so that's kind of what, what really got me into it because it came about during kind of some preliminary research, really it was during my prelim, what they call it kind of preliminary yeah. like halfway through. And so I had this idea and I said, you know what? In the research, it showed me that really people think, oh, advertising is what makes people buy things. Advertising, not really. Hmm. What, what encourages people to purchase is what's on the shelf. That's if, right. If you're a brick and mortar shopper, it's what's on the shelf. But now, but and, think, about, think about this though, sorry, but because uh, this has come up a couple of different times is in, you know, in, in the current pandemic that we're in, where we have these shelter in place orders, you're seeing the brands that not only focus on the retail shelf, which is certainly important and it's not going to go away. They focus on that, but they also focus on the in-home shelf, the in-home experience. I had a, a, a brand new company that just launched in February that told me they focused on was their product counter worthy? Cause it's a, it's a product for males who are going bald like myself or who are already bald. And they wanted the packaging to be such that it would sit on the counter, not go in the drawer. And so these are the kinds of things that are evolving for brands. And it, it really, 
ramped up, I think too, um, that cause now decisions are happening in the home with a cell phone and you have to, you still have to communicate to them even after the, the retail shelf. It's been, it's been a fun thing to watch. Absolutely. And, um, so like I said, you know, that's really where the influence is. And mm-hmm. there was an article that I've read and I've kind of coined the, 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 the headline for the article. Packaging is the new advertising. It, it really is. And that's one of the things that a lot of research has shown is that, like you were stating with, that's kind of happening now. Mm-hmm. Packaging doesn't stop influencing once it gets in the home. Once it gets off the shelf, it continues to influence. Right. At home, in the pantry, on the counter. And so that was uh, something that I thought, well, par- part of this kind of whole branding and, and this calm message thing is we need to understand if what we are designing, is it working? Specifically, right. if people are going to be influenced, you know, at that. And also, it, like you were saying, it's now really coming into the experience. That's part of how you brand people mm-hmm. is that experience. And so one of my all-time examples I use, Tiffany. Yeah. Tiffany and Co. Everybody knows that blue box. Yep. Everybody knows what that experience is. Yeah. When they open that box, that box speaks volumes. My, I had a so, friend of mine. I had a friend of mine who had a bunch of Tiffany boxes sitting in his office, and they were for giveaways. He was a, a high-level marketing person. They were for giveaways for they were actual Tiffany products. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Do you know how many women have stopped by just walking?" And they're like, "Oh my gosh, is that those Tiffany boxes? Like total strangers in the office building." And he works for a big company. Total strangers. Oh, do you have? Because oh, they just it, it was. And it was just sitting like somewhere and they, they could not help themselves. They had to stop and ask a total stranger. <laughs> That's the power of packaging and branding right there. I totally, totally agree. And so it's just really um, kind of wonderful yeah. to have this because I have, I felt this, I've understood this. Like I said, I think I, I got that kind of revelation epiphany, if you will, going through that process because mm. I, I make a joke and if you're not old enough, you don't get the, the reference, but you kind of refer to the, the basketball team as the Flintstones. Well, there's a yeah. cartoon called the Flintstones. Oh, you know, I remember. Red. Oh well, yeah. Okay. Well, when the little baby. Yabba dabba do time and the, Yeah. So like I said, when, when the little baby Pebbles was crawling, there, there there's several episodes where she would just crawl and she'd hit the wall and she would just keep moving kind of in place and Fred would go over and pick her up and turn her oh, around. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was my experience. That was my journey hmm. because no one had ever did research the way I did. Matter of fact, I have to, as soon as I get off, there's a young man who requested to re- uh, a copy of my dissertation so he can read it. That's awesome. <laughs> so no one had did what I did. So that yeah. I, I tell people, I still have a dent right here. <laughs> <laughs> You're the pebbles crawling on the ground. That's awesome. I was the pebbles trying, trying to figure it out. And being an industry, because um, I've had corporate experience as well. And just kind of being an industry, you know, as a designer, um, a lot of people, they didn't get that. And, mm. and so I was kind of there trying to say, no, we don't know. We have to really, this package really does more than just contain the product. And they were like, oh, we've never done it that way before. (laughs) The impersonation alone was amazing. (laughs) So true. Uh, Yeah. And, and, and that's carried over then. I mean, you have your design doctor, you've got the, the branding book, um, you know, you're, you're, you're a professor still it's, and, and are you still using a lot of this stuff from your dissertation then as it evolves and, and adjusts to help out companies who want maybe more analytical data then, which is an interesting, that's an interesting thing for somebody with a very artistic background and an artistic origin story i guess to then be like but let's talk about is it working or is it not um that's a really cool combination i think 
of of those two worlds because it seems to be you've got like uh you know your your data scientists who seem to be just very black and white it does not work or it does work and then your artists who seem to be a little bit more uh, you know, sort of ethereal and spiritual about, well, this is, this color really speaks to the world. And, you know, and then for you to be right in the middle, like, but does it speak to the world? Let's, let's look and see what that means. What does it mean that it speaks to the world? I can only imagine how frustrating that can be, but also how unifying and collaborative and ultimately impactful those, those conversations would be. So that's really cool that you've, you've, married two worlds together yeah and that's that's really kind of how i i feel it's it's always kind of a a blending you know mm -hmm. of of certain things and one of the interesting things as well yes i i do the the research but i've always been more of a qualitative researcher mm. i can do quan but yeah. i well and, and the thing is because it does qualitative research does kind of focus on how people are feeling. It tells the story. Sure. And that's what branding is. Yeah. Because, you know, even though, you know, you have your kind of your hardcore marketing and, you know, analytics, but they also listen to the research on, well, blue color, this color, there's a lot of psychology. Yeah, right. Obviously, you know, yeah. Tied into. Yeah. And so... Even though, you know, they like to do a lot of the, um, they want to, well, can you quantify? Well, um, sometimes you're, 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 that, that doesn't work either. Sure. Um, I do, rec I do recall, um, during my research, obviously you gotta have some theory. Yeah. You have to have theory. Okay. All right. I get that. So I, I had to find a theory, but in that process, even and another passion that's kind of wrapped up in here is obviously consumer behavior because mm -hmm. really when I talk about how is the packaging, how is it doing the job or what type of job is it doing, you're getting into, you're touching, you're living into that consumer behavior world. Right. So, you know, to kind of have this, this pushback during this, this academic journey and to discover that, well, you know, yeah, consumer behavior isn't um linear no it's not linear right it's right. not be it, it, it's called something so much of it is impulse buying <laughs> quantify that yeah that's so funny i just so it's funny to me about this is uh today this morning i had a conversation with somebody who lives in orlando florida <clears throat> oddly enough about the idea that Western thought we try to make everything linear because that's how we, we, we sort of started to go, okay, well, they go from here to here to here to here. <clears throat> and I was letting him know, uh, and we were, we were actually talking about uh, um, the, the, the Hebrew Old Testament of the Bible, oddly enough. And so, and I was telling, I said, you know, that, that the, the Hebrew way of thinking was very uh, circular. There was not a, and you see a lot of these patterns and a lot of uh, Hebrew narratives and that, but that seems to be a lot more in line with how the human being, we're, we, we are not predictable in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and, and, you know, th this, this whole concept that we can just, we, we can coerce somebody to go on a journey is, and, and, and it's a predictable journey is, is probably missing a lot of, the human behavior portion. And I think sometimes packaging people fall into that as well. Um, you're like a lot of times they've, <laughs> you're like sometimes <laughs> a lot, but you know, what's, what's also so very interesting. Um, and there was, I believe it was kind of a, a docu series, I think on the history channel. And it talked about, um, the men that made America. Hmm. And, um, of course, they focused on Henry Ford. Mm -hmm. And the reason this connected is you talk, and we talk about how we want to make everything so linear. It's the assembly line thought process. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of been ingrained in America. Right. And you, and you had mentioned the Western world. Well, how did it kind of move over? Well, certain parts, you know, kind of 
Ford influenced a lot. Yeah. yeah. Not just America, but also Europe. So I think we, we do have that. And that's kind of where that came from, you know, that that built America. And so that's why we like to kind of, we have this linear thing. And it also leads to kind of silos, you know, yeah. and that was one of the biggest, I think, things for me as a creative person was to go into corporate positions and discover how every, everything was so siloed. But that's assembly line. Yeah. I'm going to stay right here. Things come to me. And right. when things come to me, I do my part. I don't need to look to the left or look to the right. I need to focus on it. it's going to come to me right here. And so we have so many years of that that we have to that we have to break down. Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah, it's 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 tough. I, I'm going to send you uh, I've got to make a note of this. Uh, and this, this is about um, uh, is a guy that I've I've met before, but he's a poet. And uh, his name is Propaganda, if you've ever heard of him. And he has a, he has a poem um, called Board of Education, but it's B-O-R-E-D. And, and he, talks about, he talks about a lot of this stuff. So you're going to find a good friend in, uh, in, in Propaganda. Um, well, this is, this is amazing. Um, just, just hearing about your journey and hearing about your story um, and, and, where you know your 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 inspirations just how you've connected all these dots is is really is really quite is really quite cool so uh when so you're you're doing are you doing a couple of things now you're you seem to help companies right as a is it like a consultant or um is that is that kind of what like what is what is a, a day in the life of dr van hurley look like today besides wow. teaching besides teaching via zoom calls Right. Well, yeah, the, the semester's um, just wrapped up because, um, yeah, semester just wrapped up. Grades were, were due uh, Monday. So I got mine in early. Nice. So what I tend to do, yeah, you're, you're correct. I do, um, I do things in a consulting manner, but I also design as well. And okay, cool. um, matter of fact, I had a, a phone call with a client yesterday. And so I told him, I said, you know, over the years, I find it very difficult to just design. Hmm. The branding comes with it because yeah. that's how I design. I design with the mindset that people need to experience. People need to connect mm -hmm. with you. And so, yes, I do consulting, but I also do branding design as, as well. Okay. That's awesome. So, uh, what, uh, I've got one more question and then, um, I want you to kind of share how people can, can help you continue on in your journey and how they get in contact with you. So my question is you deal with a lot of not just young students, um, through, through your, your teaching. Um, but you talk about being a young artist as well. So having this compulsion for art and I try to tell people, Hey, listen, you don't have to get into packaging, obviously, but if you want a place to, to express and to see your work, you know, physically often, you know, many times or almost every time physically see your creativity and your work, you just may want to look into packaging as a way, as a way to do that. Or if you just want to answer your parents, well, who's going to make money off art school? Just say I'm going into packaging and maybe they'll get it. Uh, <laughs> so what kind of advice in, in, as, as you're maybe evaluating the, the world that we are re-entering into, this post-COVID world that we are all trying to navigate. So if you're a young artist right now or a young student, what, what is your advice to, to them about you know, either, either ways to position themselves for the future or things that they can be doing now? Um, you know, we, we do have our, the demographics for our podcast tend to skew younger podcasts in general do. Um, so, you know, early twenties, we get, we have a lot of people, um, really around the world actually, which is awesome, uh, who listen to the podcast. So maybe what are, what are some pieces of advice that you could give to them as they are emerging into this, to this career world? Wow. That's, that's a heavy one, but um, I know you, you right, are responsible it, it, for them now. <laughs> Well, I, I think um, one of the things that we have to realize, and the, the ship, if you will, was already kind of turning, 
But I think what we have seen through this kind of COVID-19 kind of ever-changing kind of environment that we're living in is it has given people time to reflect. Mm -hmm. And it's also affected people, and I believe ways we had no idea. So people are very, and I say this kind of in, in general, I'm kind of generalizing, obviously, but it appears that a lot of people, they're reevaluating their life, right. their happiness, mm -hmm. and their purpose. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I would recommend for, for students, for kind of young ones, specifically creative, that are beginning to embark and specifically go back kind of to this new post-COVID world is for one, let's try and have empathy for others. Yeah, right. Because I know this has been happening for decades. I've been teaching for several decades. And it's, it's just human nature that we, as being young, we believe that everyone's like us. Because really, in your inner circle, everyone is like you. Mm -hmm. We tend to gravitate towards people that are like us. But when you are working, when you're out there in the workforce, when you're doing something that is going to service someone else, you have to be able to empathize mm. in order to speak properly to that someone else. Right. So I, I think that's really... Um, that's a big great. thing is, is to be empathetic. And, and also, as a, a young person, with whatever you do, you don't want to skip the front-end research process. Right. You, the, many students, they, they want to just kind of, and I call them microwave, microwave society. They want it, boom, yesterday. Yep. That's now. That's not how it happens. Um, you have to do that and understand that as being a designer, being a creative person, you are working for someone else. I, I tell this all the time. This is something that I that I share this this kind of wisdom because it's true. I'm a fine artist. I'm also a designer, a brand designer. And there's kind of two worlds, even though they're very parallel, but it's two worlds. So you have to design for what others think. Mm -hmm. And I tell students, if you get so connected that, you know, during critiques, because I believe in open critiques, put, it, it's accountable. Yeah. Put your work up. And if someone says, well, you know, I really can't read that typeface. And a student responds with, well, I like it. That's the typeface I chose. Okay, so now you're creating a piece of fine art. Yeah. Because fine art, you express yourself and you invite others to try kind of enjoy or understand what you're doing. Mm -hmm. When you're on that visual communication side, if someone doesn't understand your message, you have to go back to the drawing board because it is about others. That's and so I think that's, good. That's the thing that I'm always, I've been preaching this for decades. That's if like, that's such, want, it's so, it's so good. And that's like, it's just, I've never heard it put that way. And it's, uh, it, it's so important that delineation is, is critical and it does it doesn't say that one is better it just it partitions the purpose of the creation that's so good Ab absolutely and that's the thing um as well when you understand that what you do helps people i think that's really the greatest thing whether i think packaging is amazing because for one i also get into the functionality or sometimes the lack thereof. I know, I know. We don't uh, talk about that. So it, it's just really amazing because you really do impact someone's life. And if you can understand that, if you can, if you can approach everything with understanding that you're helping someone, that you're maybe making their lives better, mm -hmm. if you're going to make the information easier for someone to read on a package, 
then you're helping. Right. And it's just, it's a great feeling to know what you've designed is helping others. So then how can people connect with you and how can people help you? How can people help you spread this, uh, this goodness to others? Uh, what's the best way? Is it email? Is it online? Do you even care, pi- carrier pigeons? Uh, hey, I take it all, but really, to be honest, um, LinkedIn, Okay. because that's, that's how you and I got linked. I is, know. Is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is great. Um, email. Okay. Also, um, I just relaunched um, a new website. It has more of a blog. Awesome. Feel, which is um, thedesigndog1.com. All right. Uh, got it. Cool. And also, um, I do also help not just only existing companies, corporations, but also people that are starting up in business. Because okay. that's one thing. Branding is so important. And because many people feel it's so expensive, I can't do that because they don't understand. Yeah. You have to brand out the box or you're going to fail. So a few years ago, I wrote a book called Bootstrap Branding. Yep. And I call that subtitled The Entrepreneur's Guide to Building a Brand with Limited Finances. Awesome. That's another thing. And that's available um, on uh, Amazon.com. But if you go to my my website, thedesigndoc1.com, there is a a page all about Bootstrap Branding. We can also order the book as well. But um, yeah, cool. yeah if, they're, if they're online with me on my website, you can email me there as well. Awesome. Well, Dr. Van Hurley, this has been my sincere pleasure to just hear your story and to even play a small part in your journey um, to, to hopefully elevate your story and uh, have some people connect with you and learn from you. I think you dropped so many incredible gems of information here. Uh, It's been great. So thank you once again so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. This has been quite fun. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks.